When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you don't have a clear curriculum for your classroom, it is so overwhelming to try to put that together yourself. Spending hours on Pinterest and Google, pulling worksheets and pulling pieces of curriculum together to make something that works for your classroom. That's why we created the Autism Helper Curriculum and now offer Curriculum Access. Curriculum Access gets you access to all levels and all subjects of the highly differentiated evidence-based Autism Helper Curriculum. You can have students working on letter identification and working on parts of speech at the same time in our easy-to-use curriculum. We currently have hundreds of teachers using Curriculum Access from all over the world with consistently rave reviews. I want you to join that group of teachers. Now is the time to ask your administrators for curriculum access. We have an email template ready to go so you can ask them to set up a demo. Your administrators can jump on a live call with our team members to see everything that's included in the Autism Helper curriculum access. Next year, let's reduce the overwhelm. Let's start the year out with a path and a plan and resources to meet all the diverse needs of your students. Let's make next year the year of curriculum access. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. This is our first episode of the Frequently Asked Question podcast series. So I'm aiming to do this once a month and collect all of the common questions that I get from emails and social media messages and answer them in one monthly podcast episode. So Matt's going to read the questions that I've selected and I will share my best answer. If you are looking to submit a question for this podcast series, I would absolutely love that. You can email me at sasha.theautismhelper at gmail.com or just go ahead and comment on one of our social media posts and I will be sure to try and include that in our next episode. So our first question is from Carol. She writes, the end of the day is so chaotic for my classroom. How can I make the transition home smoother? Ooh, I like this question. I like this question because it's important to really consider and spend time planning for those heavy hitting transition times in our day. Transitions are hard for a lot of our kids and whether it's transitioning into the classroom or to and from lunch or leaving the school, we have to make sure we really plan for it. And if we don't, as many of you know, it can become a hot mess real quick. So my first piece of advice here If your end of the school day routine is not going well and it's chaotic, however much time you're giving yourself, double it. So if you're leaving yourself 10 minutes, 
go to 20. If you're leaving yourself 15, go to 30. Even if that feels ridiculous, you'll be able to tighten up that time schedule later, but give yourself the extra time, especially in the start of the year. And yes, the fall is still the start of the year. And especially if you've got little babies, it just takes a long time to get ready. And my next piece of advice would be to really delegate amongst your staff. You want everyone to really clearly know what their responsibilities are. And this might be some type of like a zone defense, like if kids are by the lockers, Miss Jefferson, you take them. And if kids are lining up, Mr. Thomas, you take them. Or maybe it's assigning specific kids to specific adults. Like, hey, Jenny, you have these three kids from start to finish. I'm going to take these three kids from start to finish. So figure out that system and write it down, hand it to your staff, talk about it, make sure everyone's really clear on their responsibilities. And then after that, my next kind of thing to wrap it up would be to really have a clear waiting spot. So once someone has their coat on, their backpack on, they are all ready to go, where are they waiting? Because not everyone is instantly ready at the exact same second. So I really would recommend having a spot where everyone waits and ideally sits and waits. Standing and waiting is hard. If you're standing, soon you're wandering, soon you're in the break area, soon you're on the iPad. But if someone's sitting, if you have a row of benches or chairs or people are just sit at their desk when they're done, I think that makes everything a lot easier. Our next question comes from Heather. What ideas do you have for a student who gets really attached to a teacher? Yes, that means you followed my advice and became the chocolate chip cookie. If you are unfamiliar with this analogy that I use a lot, I always tell everyone that in August, September, your goal is to become a chocolate chip cookie, to make you and your classroom something that is so delicious that everyone wants all the time. But sometimes it goes a little too far, as in with this example. So... Sometimes kids can become very attached to a specific teacher or paraprofessional. I actually had this happen one of my first few years teaching um, one of my favorite students. I know we shouldn't have favorites, but I just loved him. And I think he had had teachers in the past that didn't really understand him or give him a means of communication. And once, you know, in my room that we had a good means of communication down for him, he was very, very attached to me to the point where when I'd go to the bathroom, he would throw his whole body on the floor yelling, where is she? Where is she? And we had to actually make a little visual with a little blonde board maker head that we would move to where I was. Was Halligan in the bathroom? Was Halligan out sick today? Was Halligan at a meeting that he would like move it to show where I was? Um, So something like a visual or a social story can help in those situations. But I think just really providing a lot of exposure and experience and opportunities to interact and engage with other adults and other kids. So purposefully once, you know, with this example that I shared, once we realized how attached the student was to me, we made sure to incorporate other staff members with him at lunch and within the school day. And he went to centers with other adults and he went to different classes with paraprofessionals and things like that. So we made a point to it not always be me as being the one to interact. Um, So if that's happening with you, you know, make sure to really incorporate other adults and fade it in slowly. It doesn't have to be like a hard, fast, like, oh, now, you know, Miss Johnson's doing everything with you. Just fade it in slowly, having maybe even two adults work together with that student if possible. So the adult that the student's very attached to is still there, but then another adult is kind of fading in is always a good way to kind of get that started. Okay. Deb asks, I am very intrigued by the idea of using Google Forms to collect data, 
but I can't wrap my brain around having an iPad or laptop out during instruction. Won't that be distracting to my students? I have gotten this question a bunch of times, actually, and this is probably my fault for not clearly communicating this. So I've talked a ton about Google Forms over the past year and how helpful using Google Forms can be to help analyze your data. So the misunderstanding that I probably didn't clarify is that you won't be inputting the data directly onto Google Forms during instruction. You will still be using paper and pencil data sheets. You will still be collecting data during instruction, but it'll be on the paper data sheet. The Google Forms piece is that next step. It's for analyzing and using your data. So you'll be taking that paper and pencil data that you collected and inputting that information into Google Forms. And I know I've probably lost you all here because you're like, that's a whole extra step that I don't have to do. Well, two things. One, it's so ridiculously fast to put it into Google Forms. When I do PDs on data collection, I literally do this live and have had people time me to see how long it takes, which is actually very stressful for me. But it's super, super fast. It takes less than two minutes to input a week's worth of data for one student. And second, the whole point of taking data is to use it is to analyze it and look through it and make database decisions. You're not just taking data because you think you should or I told you so. You're taking data to utilize that information about student progress. So using Google Forms will help you analyze the data so you can really access it and utilize it in a meaningful way. So Vicky says, my TAs seem to pick every battle when it comes to my students' problem behaviors. How can I teach them to pick their battle? That's a really good question. Easy to answer, hard to execute. Easy answer is staff training and thorough, detailed, potentially a little bit time-consuming staff training. So if you listen to some of my other podcast episodes, I have two episodes on staff training where I get pretty detailed about how and why and when and what to do with your staff training time. So definitely check those out if you are interested in learning more on staff training. When it comes to this specific situation, it sounds like there's some miscommunications on the behavior plan. So staffs may be overgeneralizing and implementing a behavior plan in regards to some smaller scale behaviors that is supposed to only be for some larger scale behaviors. This is definitely something I advocate when I talk about behavior reduction. We want to prioritize what behavior change we are looking for. So if we have students that maybe have some extreme aggression or running, we're not going to really target swearing right now. We're going to worry about those most dangerous, most potentially stigmatizing behaviors first. So things like picking your nose and, you know, writing not on the line, we might not worry about that right now or ever. Right now we're worried about things that are significantly impacting the student's life. But when you kind of don't pick your battles and what this question was referencing, we're kind of going after every little thing, which of course could be very exhausting to the student and I'm sure exhausting to the staff member. So really spend some time going through those behavior plans with your staff, doing a lot of modeling and rehearsal in situ. So when those behaviors come up, clearly show what you want them to do, provide feedback when you're seeing what you want them to do as well. Within your staff training, also really highlight when to do it and when not to do it. So, hey, these are all the scenarios that we're going to follow this behavior plan. And these are all the scenarios that seem like we might need to follow the behavior plan, but we're actually not going to. So highlight all of those specific like when not to examples in your staff training as well. 
Catherine wants to know, how can I plan for a substitute? I am scared to get sick. Catherine, I have a ton of blog posts on this that I will link in the show notes, but I will also give you the short and sweet answer here. So when it comes to planning for a substitute, this is overwhelming because a lot of us type A personalities out there, myself included, want the day to go exactly perfect and we want it to be as if we were there. But guess what? We're not there and that's okay. So we have to lower our expectations and that's not a bad thing. That's just being realistic and expecting that things are going to be different because there's a new person there. Even if the substitute is someone who's familiar with your building and your caseload, it's still never going to be an exact replica of you. So things are going to be different. So keep it simple. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I have spent probably hours of my life planning for substitutes and writing detailed lesson plans and things like that, that literally I came back and were the, in the exact same spot. So keep it super simple, keep easy work out. Um, I always suggest putting one of your you know more experienced paraprofessionals who you trust really well, maybe in the teacher role, and then you have the substitute be in the paraprofessional role. So you kind of swap roles, that's really nice. Also have everything ready to go in a clipboard or a file folder for if you are, uh, you know, it's an emergency, like you are sick, this is unplanned, you got the flu the night before, tell your paraprofessionals where that is. And I also recommend leaving a note for the sub that's pretty clear because if a substitute has never been to a low incidence or self-contained room, they might walk in and think that the show is theirs and they can do what they want. Um, Some of my old colleagues made fun of me because my substitute note was a little bit abrasive, but I had been wronged by too many subs. So in my substitute note, I said, you know, the classroom will be run by the two paraprofessionals. If you have any questions, ask them, you know, Miss so-and-so will be running the whole class. You will be in Miss so-and-so's role. She is the one that you take the lead from. So it was really clear that the paraprofessionals were the one in charge. Um, I also said, you know, please do not, I gave some kind of ground rules. Do not talk about kids in front of them. Please do not move materials. Please do not use my printer because I had a substitute who spent half the day printing resumes on my printer that I bought my own ink from. 
not okay. So I left some like ground rules like that, which I think is absolutely appropriate. This is your class. It's someone that's stepping into basically your home. So really make sure to kind of highlight all of that in a quick, simple list of kind of what to do and what not to do. Kyle asks, what tips do you have to present data to parents? I love, love, love this question. Any data question I really love, let's be honest. Um, You should definitely present data to parents. You should bring data with you to an IEP and to a parent conference. And my advice here is graph your data. So whether you use you know, Google products or you use your iPad or Excel, it's really easy to make a quick line graph. And things that are graphed give a visual depiction of student progress. So you're actually able to see the dots move in a positive direction and that trend be upward of, ooh, look how many new skills they're learning. Or if it's negative behavior, ooh, look at this line that's decreasing. It visually gives a quick picture. So when you're doing that, prepare all of your graphs ahead of time, Don't be intimidated by this. It's really a lot quicker than you think. If you're interested in learning about Google Forms, I have some tutorials on how to make Google Forms using a line graph on YouTube that I will link in the show notes. But it's really, really easy to do, and it's so fun to include parents in this. So you bring the graphs with to the meetings, explain what it means, and show, you know, this is why I'm taking this data. I'm doing this because I can see that the skills are improving, so I know I want to keep doing this, and explain the whole database decision-making process that you do on a regular basis. Also, if you bring graphed data to an IEP or a parent conference, you are like instantly the most impressive teacher that anyone has ever met. A lot of times people don't even care what you graphed. You could have graphed how many Cheetos you ate last weekend. They don't really care. They're all just like, damn, that teacher graphed her data. Awesome. So definitely be that impressive teacher and graph your data. Okay. Our last question comes from Rachel. She says, I need help with classroom setup. That was in all capitals. This is my third year and I'm still struggling to have the ideal setup for all my centers and learning stations. If you guys know me, you know I could probably spend the next four to six hours answering this question, but don't worry. I'll do the short and sweet version here. I am going to link in the show notes the blog series on classroom setup because I get really detailed on the steps to follow for that. But my overall advice, if it's something that you're kind of year to year struggling with, is to really learn from what's working and what's not working. So if there's a part of your day that's awesome, let's say your morning circle time goes so well. There's not typically a ton of behavior problems. Kids are engaged. It's just a time of your day that you know is going to be good. If that's happening, then do that part of your day twice. If morning circle time is awesome, do morning circle time again right after lunch. Literally the exact same thing. Do that for a few weeks, get settled, Then slowly start to transition your afternoon circle time into more of a math circle time or add social skills or add different concepts, but utilize that same structure that was working. So if centers are going really well, how can we replicate that in other areas of our day? And then the areas of your day that aren't going well, look at why they're not going well. Look at the structure, look at the schedule, look at how the kids are grouped, take notes, write about it. Try to get that bird's eye view. I think often we have a hard time assessing the needs of our room when it comes to the structure and the setup because we're in the weeds. We're part of it. It's hard to kind of see the big picture. So try to get that big picture version of what's going on that isn't really jiving. Also ask for help. 
we shy away from asking for help sometimes. I'm totally guilty of this, but we struggle and we struggle and we struggle and we don't reach out for someone's opinion or someone's extra set of eyes. So ask a colleague, even if they're not a special ed colleague, say, hey, can you can I just talk through some areas of my room after school today and maybe you could give me some pointers on why something's not working? Because sometimes the solution is pretty obvious, but we just miss it because we're so deep into it. So I'm going to link the um, blog series for classroom setup and a few other helpful posts in that area, but really just look at, you know, what areas of your room are working and which areas aren't, and then tweak from there. So that does it for our first Q&A podcast. I will be doing another one next month. And if you have a question that you think would be a good fit, I would love to include it. So please shoot me an email with your question and we will fit it in for next month. Thanks for listening. If you would have told me a few years ago that my favorite part of my job is getting up in front of sometimes a few hundred people and giving a presentation on data or behavior academics, I would have thought you were crazy. I did not always like public speaking. Actually, to be totally honest, public speaking was something I used to be pretty afraid of. But now it's literally my favorite part of my job. I love being in a room of my people, of the special ed world, teachers and parents and clinicians, and everyone that's on the front lines that's working so hard for our students to give them the best opportunities and the best classroom experience. I love being in a room of everyone that understands how hard this job can be, but also how amazing it is and how important those little victories are on a daily basis. When I do a PD, my goal is to bring value. I wanna bring action items, ideas and strategies that you can do tomorrow in your classroom. I have sat through too many professional developments that either didn't apply to me or were too hypothetical and philosophical. And my special ed heart always wanted to know, what do I do next? What do I do tomorrow? If you are interested in learning more about how I can come to your school to do a professional development, please visit theautismhelper.com backslash speaking. There's a contact form as well as a lot of information about all of the different sessions I give. I'm happy to answer any questions and work with your school district. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. 
Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum, everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.